What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to episode three of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Glenn Naughton. Folks, it only took three weeks for us to sit here and talk about a victory, and this one feels pretty damn good. Uh, knowing that the Jets have a little bit of fight in them, and even when it felt like all hope was lost, it was a good feeling, and obviously the football gods being on our side was a good thing too. So, Glenn, how we doing? How we feeling a couple days removed from this big Jets victory? I mean, feeling great. You know, so much of what the Jets needed to happen happened in this game. Um, the the way the rookies played was so encouraging. Um, you know, the young guys, not just the rookies, but some of the younger players. We saw some uh, some good work from Elijah Moore, from Brandon Eccles. Um, of course, Garrett Wilson was the story of the day. And um, the Jets took advantage of some Browns miscues, you know, and, and they obviously they made some mistakes. And Nick Chubb has even come out and said that, you know, he cost them the game by by running into the end zone on that final that final touchdown and not taking a knee to run out some clock. So, but the Jets did what they had to do. I mean, the, the onside kick recovery is the most miraculous thing. You just don't see that anymore. It doesn't happen. Um, you know, even when you know it's coming, you just kind of think there's no way they're getting this. So credit to Will Parks for blasting Amari Cooper oh, to yeah. get him away from the football. Will Parks, great job there. And all around, just, I mean, some things need to get better. The, the, you know, we talked about the run defense and how we we were concerned, cautiously optimistic because they, yeah. were, they played well in week one, but you knew this was going to be a bigger challenge. And um, they did, they got beat up on the ground a little bit, but as the year progresses, let's see if Cleveland does that to everyone. I mean, that's a good old line, and those are two good running backs. Um, and it's not like they ran, you know, I, I forget what the total numbers were, but it's not like they ran for, you know, 180, 190. But they did wear the Jets down, and they were able to kind of beat them up late in the game. Yeah, yeah, I think it was about 140 or 150 they ended with. But before we dive too deep into the recap, I just want to go over all of our topics tonight. First and foremost, we'll spend most of the time speaking about the miraculous comeback in Cleveland, the miracle in the land, as the the Jets' Twitter admin has called it. We'll give our standouts some key players. Uh, we've had a lot of time to go over the All-22. I know I've had a lot more time than Glenn this week, but um, we'll just give our thoughts from that. And then we're going to uh, obviously preview week three with the Bengals, how how we think the Jets can advance to two and one, kind of a wild statement saying that out loud. And then we'll go over some of uh, Cincinnati's key personnel, some of their players and matchups to watch. And obviously at the end, we'll we'll go over some some NFL talk, uh, NFL draft talk, excuse me, and give some some pers- uh, excuse me, prospects names that we want you guys to keep an eye on. So first, getting right into it. You mentioned a lot of it there. Um, a lot of young players stepped up in the 31 to 30 improbable victory in Cleveland. Um, ESPN analytics had the Browns at 99.9% win chance after that Chubb touchdown. I know you said he regrets it and says he should have gone down. And I, I think we'll touch on that a little bit. I have some questions for you, but after that and the missed extra point, they had him at 99.9% win chance, uh, story of the day. Absolutely. Jets rookies led by Garrett Wilson showed up big time. Wilson, 102 yards on eight catches, two touchdowns, should have been more touchdowns. Uh, Breeze Hall, 49 total yards on eight total touches and a touchdown, his first time in the end zone as a as a, as a professional. Um, the offense, just on the surface level here, offense was on fire, matching touchdown for touchdown. I tweeted it out and said I didn't think the Jets would be able to match touchdown for touchdown in this game, and it looked like that's what they were going to have to do. Um, defensively, they were pretty bad, but they showed up in key moments. Um, We'll get into the, the key stops and, and whatnot there, but they had two crucial tackle for losses and then a sack. 
that really swung some momentum in the defense's favor late in the second half. Um, special teams, I think, was the savior of the afternoon at three separate times. You mentioned it there, Will Parks, additional shout out to him. He actually liked my tweet. I just put Will Parks in all caps and, and he liked it on Twitter. That was great. So it's three separate times the special teams came in and, and was clutch. And then the fourth element, which I know you touched on in your recap a little bit, and I don't like touching on it a ton, but uh, that was a rookie referee there in Trey Blake, and it clearly showed. Um, there was a lot of people talking about missed calls um, in the Jets' favor and what, so back and forth either way. Uh, it was bad. It, the, ref, the officiating was very bad, very rookie-like, so we didn't like to see that. Um, injuries, though, positive note on injuries. Everybody finished the game. There were a couple people that got hurt. Um, they all came back and finished the game, and they will be evaluated throughout the week. Third down, eight for 15. I think this is a category that I'm most intrigued by every game by the Jets. Eight for 15 is much improved from, I believe it was two and 14 last week. So 14, just, I think, yeah. Yeah, just absolutely awful last week. Now we're up to 53.5%, so much better. Um, one for one on fourth down, obviously just a fake. And then three for four in the red zone. I think that's tremendous, 75% with most of them becoming touchdowns. I think three of the four became touchdowns. Uh, the Obviously, the only one was the Joe Flacco strip sack that um, obviously they lost possession on that one. So just on the surface, Glenn, I just wanted to ask you, um, how high does this win rank for you? I've seen a lot of other outlets talking about excitement level with this win, and they've brought up, you know, Darnold in Detroit. Um, I also added Decker in overtime versus the Patriots as uh, games just to be excited about as a fan. So does this rank anywhere amongst them with you knowing the the direction of this team as opposed to 2018 or 2015? Yeah, listen, I said after the game that I thought that this would be one of the most memorable games Jets fans will, will ever see in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels weird because, you know, it's not the postseason. It's week two. You're playing the Browns, which, by the way, quick segue. Who are these Browns fans? Like, I can't believe we lost to the Jets. Like, you're oh, the Browns. You have no right to say anything. Even if even if we want to say the Jets are next to last in terms of, like, teams you should be most embarrassed to lose to, the Browns are like, oh, my God, we lost to the Jets. Shut up. You Really? Yeah. yeah if there's on. one team that has nothing to say about losing to anyone, it's that's the team. Exactly. Um, and, and listen, but yeah, that win, I, I said after the game, it'd be one of the most memorable games. I almost said, I can't remember, I may have said it, um, it'd be kind of like the, uh, the the Monday Night Miracle against the Dolphins. And that's that's kind of where this is. Wow. I, and I, look, I get, look, mm -hmm. there's no playoff implications. It's not a great team. But just the fact, you know, you said it, 99.9% .9 chance they would lose that game. Um, and they come back and win. That is that is ridiculous. I. You know, I've seen a couple people like, oh, relax, it's it's a week two win. I'm like, yeah, but it's also like literally about as miraculous a win as you can get. You can't, you know, they can't say it's 100% likelihood until the game is over. Right. So it is, the, you cannot have a less likely chance to win a football game than the Jets did. And they stepped up and it was, again, big plays from the kids. Joe Flacco was cool. You know, he, he was much, much better this week, obviously. Um and I, it's it's right up there. It's sort of, I mean, it's got to be like top four or five for me in terms of just the shock factor. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. And that was right when I went to, you know, right when I did the post-game video, I'm thinking in my head, what can I compare this game to? Right. And all the, all that came to mind was like Monday Night Miracle. Like that, it's mm -hmm. a game that you just, you're watching just because you're a fan and you, you know, we love torturing ourselves and watching this team be terrible. Um 
but you're just watching that game thinking there's no way they're going to win this game. Um, especially when, once Chubb scored that touchdown, I was like, oh, well, I said, I, I almost like, yeah. you know, left the, I almost left the audio on and just came in to do the video to do the video. Like, you know what? Let's watch just in case, you know, right. and the outside kick recovery. What is it? What it, that's like? That's like one out of a hundred. You know, the teams convert exactly, on exactly, yeah, with the rule change. So, yep. so much had to happen that did happen. Jesus, I'm thinking. Imagine, imagine you put five bucks on the Jets to win when it was at ninety nine point nine percent. You know, that's like uh, probably I can't plus imagine 10, what I was doing or something. Yeah, yeah. But so it it's up there, man. It was it was thrilling, Cleveland or not. But how crazy is it that the last time that happened, it happened to the Browns? Right, I did see that stat about, however, twenty two hundred consecutive games where two thousand two hundred twenty nine consecutive games where teams were leading by thirteen with less than two minutes to go, they had won two thousand two hundred twenty nine in a row, and the last team to do it was the Browns. The Jets? How did we lose to the Jets? You're the yeah. Browns. Yeah. How do you? How do you, oh, you do how this. do you lose to the Jets? Not how do yeah, we exactly. the Browns? Like it's yeah, it's. Yeah, give me a break. Bad teams. I, I saw one of them was like, the "Oh, they're the worst team in football." You, uh, yeah. Not Listen, true. Listen, the Jets are bad, but come on now. Not not worse than the league. Absolutely not. Yeah. I should say the Jets have been bad. Sure, um, exactly. There yeah. there are definitely some teams that are that are you know well below the Jets this year. Still bad. Yeah, exactly. We're trending up. You can see. Yeah, for for me, obviously, I think emotionally it ranks pretty high. I put Decker against the the Patriots in there because I think that was the height of. Jets excitement overall and we all knew okay now go into Buffalo take care of business and it's good and then I think hindsight kind of puts this win above it because obviously if we had beat Buffalo then the Patriots game would probably be number one for everybody but we lost to Buffalo we didn't make the playoffs this time now we have a young team early on in the season they needed a win to prove to themselves that they could you know, hang with everybody. They're not going to be a team that's going to lay down. I don't want to use Dan Campbell's knee biting quote, but that's essentially what they did on Sunday. They, they got knocked down and they kept getting back up, but um, let's, let's get a little bit more into it. I think, yeah, this this is a great game emotionally. And you could, you could tell it was, is a lot better offensively. I'll get right into it. Offensive line for me was the most improved position of the week. Obviously, Garrett Wilson was the most improved player from week one to week two. But as a unit, offensive line stepped up big time, gave Flacco way more time to throw downfield. And it showed, obviously, the Corey Davis big explosion play was uh, a breakdown in coverage. But Flacco normally wouldn't have that time week one against the Ravens to even get the ball 20 yards. So I, I put down some numbers here about Flacco, average depth of target, 5.7 to 10.5 and that's all in correlation of time to throw from the offensive line so that's great and then in the run game for the offensive line 5.6 yards per carry in the first half so offensive line to me standouts all across the board obviously there were some weaknesses here and there um, especially up from the tackles which I felt like they did a good good job game planning for the most part on the tackles Joe Flacco, obviously 307 yards. It's weird. He's thrown for 307 exactly week one and week two. Very consistent, Joe. Obviously, uh, four touchdowns, not the same result as last week. Big boom in touchdowns. Uh, Again, zero turnover-worthy plays. I know we talked last week about that being somewhat of a misleading stat, but for for as many passes as the Jets have thrown, to have zero, according to PFF, we'll, we'll call it one with an asterisk turnover worthy play on 100 snaps is very good i mentioned it average depth of target more than double 
And then rookie of the day, Garrett Wilson, 14 targets, 102 yards, two touchdowns. This is the interesting one to me. He had three red zone targets last week against Baltimore on limited time. And we said, everybody, everybody that was a Jets fan said, play 17. Hashtag play 17 was going around all week. He had five red zone targets this week and he played a ton more snaps. I was listening to underdog fantasy with Josh Norris and Hayden Winks. And they said, Garrett Wilson has more targets inside the 10 yard line with seven than any other pass catcher has inside the red zone. So you back up 10 more yards and Garrett Wilson still has more touches in the red zone than more targets, excuse me, than all of those. And it showed he was open on most of the key plays. Um, the Flacco scramble, the strip sack, he was getting opened. It wasn't to his play side, mm -hmm. but there were plays where Garrett Wilson was open and not even looked at or thrown to. So he was cutting everybody up on defense for the Browns. He didn't flinch after the big drop and he was named Pepsi's rookie of the week. Um, as far as the game plan, I mentioned it just a little bit there. I have a tweet here that I'll read in the first half, which is mostly their scripted game plan. The Jets had 34 offensive snaps, 20 pass, and 14 run. On 20 uh, on their 20 dropbacks, uh, 13 snaps of their 20 had six or more blockers, with seven of those having a block and release. So out of those total plays of 35, do you think that was enough plays where they were chipping enough? Because to me, after that strip sack, I went back and I was starting to question are they doing enough on the outside? They did a lot in the second half. We'll get into it. But in the first half specifically, were you nervous about how much attention they were putting on the tackles, specifically Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney? Well, if you would have told me before the game that that would have been the plan, I would have been a little bit worried. But really, you know, the Jets tackles, they, they weren't great, but they got the job done, you know. Mm -hmm. And Max Mitchell, I hear a lot of people, you know, uh, talking about the way he's playing. And he is – I feel like he's playing better than I expected. He's not playing great, mm -hmm. but you got to give him a ton of credit. I mean, rookie late round pick, second pro start going against Miles Garrett. I was convinced this was going to be a three sack day for Garrett. Um, you know, and he almost got to Flacco another time or two. Of course, on these you know second to last play from scrimmage, he almost got the sack from behind. Mm -hmm. um, but the ta the Jets tackles they 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 played well enough to. To, to hold them to and really on the Garrett sack that was a mental thing someone didn't block him you know he just right. I'm I'm sure I'm sure there weren't a ton of plays drawn up where they said on this play we're gonna give Miles Garrett you know a free run at the quarterback right right you know that was that was um so really we didn't see Miles Garrett at any point beat up a tackle and get to the quarterback for a sack so I, I thought they didn't they didn't double as much as I thought they would or should but Credit to those guys. They did a really nice job. You know, Lake and Tomlinson on the inside. I know, you know, statistically, of course, yeah, Garrett Wilson, most improved guy. But yeah. I thought Lake and Tomlinson from week one to week two. Um, I mean, he had a couple of plays where, honestly, I mean, he got the job done. Um, but I saw one or two plays where he, I mean, he splayed out. Like, he was holding on for dear life. Right. Yep. And, like, it's like, well, he's not exactly dominating that guy. And he's probably screaming at the top of his lungs while he's doing that. <laughs> Because you see his legs just go, whoosh, and he just starts sliding backwards. Yep, yep. But he did the job, you know, um, and that didn't happen in week one. So I'm right. um, really, you know, I think he was, to me anyway, was, was probably the most improved guy. Of course, you know, in terms of, you know, production with the ball, it'd be Garrett Wilson. But, uh, yeah, the tackles held their own, man. They, they did a nice job. 
Yeah, I was certainly, certainly impressed. I've highlighted Max Mitchell, I feel like, in almost every weekly game plan article that I put out for JetNation.com. And I feel like it's for good reason because he is so young and inexperienced that every time there is a, a veteran pass rusher that even has he's, a little he's bit gonna, of those accolade, guys face those guys. that's the guy that they're going to target. Exactly. So And every, every, every week that's going to be a key matchup because every yep. team has a best pass rusher. And every week that best pass rusher is going to see what they can do against the rookie. Exactly. And this week they have two, just like the Browns. But mm-hmm. following up with the offense still, I wanted to ask, um, I don't know if you've seen the rankings, you know, team rankings, but the Jets are eighth in total offense and third in passing. I think they're 26th or 23rd in rushing. So not that great, but we know because game script passing has been their, their mantra the last two games. But eighth in total offense, third in passing. Are you a little bit surprised by that? Or are you kind of, you know, feel a little as expected with how it's gone the first two weeks? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have expected expected them to be ranked that high, but of course a lot of that is going to be that second half of that Baltimore game mm-hmm. um, where it was a lot of just sort of dink and dunk, um, and they got a lot of easy yards in that game. So re- when you're talking about two games and one of them was really – it was only close for a half, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. I'll say it's nice to see the kids playing as well as we hope they would. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the rankings, I'm not going to look too much, you know, like week four or five, I think is when you're going to have a better picture of, you know, where, yeah, where this offense sure. is. Um, Cause when it's two games, it just takes one, one big performance to skew the numbers or one bad, you know, it both works both ways. You can be a great offense that has, you know, a shaky week one or two. And it's like, Oh, you're 23rd in the league, you know, then yep. end of the season comes in your fourth, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that showed, in their scoring category because they were like 25th in scoring or 29th in scoring week one. And now week two, they were 15th. So every week it's going to jump until, yeah, like you said, week four or five, we'll get to that first checkpoint in the season and, and look back and really say, wow, okay, we were able to maintain a top 10, 12, 13 offense in the first quarter of the season. And, and then we really look back and be like, wow, that's, that's sustainable in this offense. And I think it can be, um, especially with Michael Floor having a much better game plan schematically for the for the Browns game versus the Ravens game. And I'm not saying it was a bad game plan for the Ravens, but going back and watching the All-22 a little bit more uh, on the Browns, there were plays where he was really attacking what the Browns were doing defensively and making it not look easy, but with the combination of the, the talent at playmaker, at receiver and tight end that we actually have now, he was making it somewhat look easy against the Browns defense. So I thought that was really cool to highlight. And I hope, yeah, top 10 offense, top 12 offense is a little bit more sustainable down the road. Yep. And the talent's there, man. The talent's there. It's just going to be, it's just going to be about, is the QB play consistent? Yep. For once the talent is there. Yeah, exactly. QB play. All right, flipping over um, defensive side of the ball, a couple shout outs that I wanted to give Quinn and Williams. Um, I went back. I haven't done a ton of the defense. I did mostly offense on the all 22, um, but Quinn and Williams, he walked back Joel Batonio, the left guard, multiple times on the first drive. He met Carl a good player. Yeah, and yeah, I was just about to say, Batonio is probably one of their best offensive linemen that they have. So, for him to to win multiple one-on-ones against Petonio was huge. He met Lawson at Brissett for a half sack. Um, I also wanted to give a small shout-out to Lawson and JFM. I know the stats don't show it, but they were working their one-on-ones. And if it wasn't for the fact that Brissett was getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly, they would have disrupted the, the pocket a little bit more than we would have liked. Um, another player, Jordan Whitehead. 
Um, I know you pointed it out that they were the worst safety duo um, through two weeks on PFF, but mm-hmm. you could you could tell from week one to week two that he was playing hurt. Um, he really put everything he had into playing Sunday, and that's not an excuse for his poor play. He had four missed tackles in, in week two, so obviously you want to see him clean that up. But for somebody to go out there game two with their new team, played 100% of the snaps and really gave it his all, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass just because the grade is bad or whatever. But I think, like you said, with the rankings, we got to give it a couple more games to let those grades settle out to what they really will be. So so Jordan Whitehead was one. And then you mentioned him up at the top, Brandon Eccles. He came in. He had five total snaps. Um, first down, they ran to his side. No surprise. They were deep into the red zone. They were going to run to his side and force him to make a play. He had a half tackle with Sheldon Rankins. Um, second play, uh isolated against Njoku on the perimeter mm-hmm. was able to pull Njoku out of bounds on the goal line fade, which is a heads play. up play. He would have got two feet in if he didn't pull him that slight bit out of bounds. So great mm-hmm. on second down, then third down the pass breakup when Martin and Quan Alexander had the pressure on Jacoby Brissett. So three great plays in a row. I have a stat here. Um, it's small sample size, five snaps for uh, Brandon Eccles on Sunday. Uh, his PFF grade was a 93.7. Um, for for comparison, when Bryce Hall was on the field in Week One, obviously different opponent, different situations. He played five total <clears throat> five total reps. Excuse me. His PFF grade was a 44.2. So to see Brandon Eccles come in and he wasn't looked at as cornerback three entering the season. He was cornerback four in the coach's eyes. He came in. He stepped up. He made a ton of plays. I was so happy to see him come in. Because, and this is exactly why Salah preached rookies getting snaps early on for these moments. Because when they come in in their second, third, fourth year as the backup, they've seen these situations before. They mm-hmm. know what to expect more often than not. Not every time because they're not perfect. Right. But, yeah, Eccles was my guy on defense. I, I don't know if you had any um, specific – players to highlight but before i get into my questions i'll let you highlight anybody that you had on defense. yeah i actually had on my notes one of the same guys you had jordan whitehead mm-hmm. um injured or not i feel again it's only it's two games it's very early but i feel like through the first couple of weeks he's been um probably the biggest disappointment to me yeah. you know he he had he's missed a lot of time like when they brought him in and i watched some of his film in tampa bay i thought oh this guy's gonna he's gonna help shore up the run defense because they're you know, their their play against the run last season was not very good. Their safeties weren't great in run support. And in Tampa Bay, Jordan Whitehead was. Um, but the other day, I mean, he, he just – he was a non-factor. And I'm watching it. That, you know, again, we I've had these conversations with you, with other people. Like, you, you get tired. Like, is this going to be another guy who comes here and just for some reason doesn't play the way he used to? You know, it's, it's not like he's a 33, 34-year-old veteran and you're like, well, he hit the wall. Right, yeah. You know, this is still a young guy. Yeah, who, 25 who in Tampa Bay was an absolute monster against mm-hmm. the run. And then I'm watching teams, you know, watching to be a non-factor. Again, it's two weeks, but it's still that kind of jumped out at me um, on defense. Eccles, of course, that was that was something, you know, I, when I saw that, that Hall was inactive and Eccles wasn't, I thought, did Hall just get jumped on the depth chart? You know, right. it's, yep. I think that may be the case. It, it or will it be week to week? Will it be you know Match you guys are kind of on even footing, and whoever has the better practice, the better week of practice is going to be the yep. active one. Yeah. Um, which is nothing wrong with that. So you know that was that was really nice to see from him. The uh, on defense on the or on the defensive line, they 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 did win some of their matchups, but I'm 
I'm at the point where it's like, I feel like for years now we've been saying that like, Oh, mm -hmm. they, you know, and I mean, there are times when it's true. Like the yeah. ball was coming out quick or you, you're playing Lamar Jackson. You, they played a quarterback who runs around a lot, but you know what? Other teams with defensive, with talented defensive fronts find a way to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, not all the time, not every week, but you know, yeah. we're two games in now. You got one sack. Um, and I, it, you know, th that's why, and well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold this for the, uh, for when we talk about the, the matchup this week, I had some thoughts on the matchup against the Bengals and, and why it's what, what a fair comparison to mm. some years past and, and this Sunday situation. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you brought up D line because I forgot this in my, in my point, but, um, I have right here the defensive line snap percentages through two games. Mm. Obviously, very small sample size. Again, we're gonna we're gonna preach that. But um, I have the four starters: so that <coughs> Lawson, Quinnen, Rankins, Franklin Myers, and then I have the two rookies. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts about the rotation and if that specifically could be part of the reason why the production might not be there. So Carl Lawson, fifty-five point one percent. Uh, he leads all edge rushers. Quinnen Williams, 60.36. He leads all defensive tackles on the team, not in the NFL, obviously. Right. Uh, Rankins, 56.1%. Franklin Myers, 48.1%. Uh, and then Jermaine Johnson, 33.4%. And Michael Clemens, 38.6%. So it seems like it's up a little bit more than clearly what the defensive staff was putting out in the summertime about these 35 rep caps. I think that was all overblown to begin with, but hearing those numbers, you know, in the, the higher fifties, sixties for some like Quinnen, is that enough for you? Or do you want to see a little bit more? And that might lead to a little bit more production out of this defensive line. Um, you know, my, my only major problem is Quinnen Williams. I mean, I, yeah. he's one of your best yeah. players, keep him on the field. Um, you know, I, I did it this offseason. I looked at sort of, you know, the top five or ten ranked DTs in the NFL. And I think Quinnen Williams had the a lower snap percentage than all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these guys play 75, 80, 85 percent. Aaron Donald plays 90 plus sometimes. Um, did some teams just say, look, my best player is staying on the field. And the Jets, they've done it for years now with Quinnen Williams. Um, I guess they're just going to keep doing it. But I think it's something that will. It's it's going to make his contract situation interesting because do you pay a guy like if you're if you're trying to sign Quinn and Williams and you have another team it's like hey man we're going to play you eighty five percent of the snaps and we're going to pay you let's say say seventeen million a year mm -hmm. well do the Jets then match that with a plan of playing him less and say well we'll give you seventeen million but you're not going to do as much for us because we're not going to play you as often right and now you're kind of you're paying the same premium price knowing you're going to get less production. Exactly. It's backwards. I, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. You're going to have to promise him, promise to pay him. like Basically, teams are going to pay him like a guy who's going to play 80 to 85% of the snaps, and the Jets are either going to have to let him walk mm -hmm. or match it and still play him 65% of the time. Yeah. And yeah, if I'm the owner, I'm going to need a really good reason for that. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, you draft a guy third overall, um, trying to pull up his uh, – pro football reference stats, but I believe he's just been like hovering in that 56 to 58. I think one year might've been 63 at the most snaps. Yeah. So it's, this is what he's, he is in his career. And I don't think it's on him as a, a player. I think maybe there are some times where he does get a little gassed and he does have to come off the field. Maybe it's just him 
as a person. But when I see, you know, TV angles, you know, looking at Quinnen Williams, he's got his hand on his hips and his mouth's open and, and this and that. And like, I don't know if that's just Quinnen's like mannerisms when he's just, you know, standing there waiting for the play to begin or whatever, but he just looks a little bit more tired than everybody else. So I don't know if that, I'm not saying he's out of shape, whatever. I think he is in really good shape, but I just noticed that on the broadcast when I went to rewatch and I thought that was interesting, but yeah, he was the one for me that I think needs to step up a little bit um, in, in snaps. I think Carl Lawson could be closer to 60 as well. Um, obviously they're trying to ramp him back up. They're not trying to give him way too much workload and Salo alluded to that. It's going to be a couple weeks for him to really ramp up. Um, but before we, you know, fully dive into the Bengals matchup, I just wanted to ask you, sticking with the D line, should Bryce Huff be activated for yes, the yes, Bengals? I, yes. I think he gives us something that maybe Jacob Martin does from a skill set perspective in terms of speed and and bend, but he does that with a little bit more run upside. So I feel like this is like a no-brainer at this point. You've seen him a healthy scratch for two games not really productive D-line play outside of a couple snaps here and there. So who who do you on the D-line, you know, downgrade if you do from the D-line room or do you just upgrade Bryce Huff and say somebody else has to not dress from a different position? Yeah, I probably, um, I probably sit somebody else. I mean, I'd have to sit down with a 53 in front of me to, to see who, sure. but yeah. I, you know, Solomon Thomas, I mean, it, the thing is he's, you know, he's an interior guy. You're not going to sit him to, to activate Huff, yeah, but I, it's always I, just, tough. I don't know. I feel like Clemens, maybe, but like Clemens has been Clemens has actually been better against the run than I thought he would be. Right, but, um, exactly. And he's you know he, he hasn't had a ton of opportunities. I think I I don't think you need to sit him. I just I think Thomas is a guy you know maybe maybe because he was drafted so high and now he's mm-hmm. like sort of a fringe rotational. Um, I don't know. I I. I I, I would probably probably trim from somewhere else. I think so, and too. add another D lineman to keep uh, to see what you can do against this Bengals offensive line that's struggling right now. Yeah, yeah, but for sure, yeah, he's definitely got to be active this game because if not now, when I feel like you're already right. upset or not not upset, but not as happy with the pass rush as you are. I listened to Salah's press conference from yesterday, not today, um, and he wasn't happy. He said it's got to be better. He's like, we, you know, this is what we've we're built upon. So if the front four can't get home, it's going to be an issue. I see somebody in the chat asking is blitzing illegal now. And I think um, it's very rare in our defense. Yeah. I don't think it's illegal, but it's definitely, they're going to do their, their thing front four and that's it. So we're going to need more production. And if Bryce Hall can give you a little spark out of that, I think that's super exciting. Um, quick touch on special teams. Um, obviously I mentioned it. Uh, they, they were the savior of the day three times. Um, first play was the trick uh, fake pump pass by man to Jeff Smith. Um, people that realize why Jeff Smith's on the roster over Denzel Mims. This is the situation. Why? Because if Denzel Mims was out there playing gunner, um, defenses would have keyed on that, even if he was the gunner on the top of the depth chart. I think the fact that Jeff Smith isn't that, you know, known of a wide receiver, it makes made that play work. So it was great. Um, obviously the onside kick, that was set up um, by the the Corey Davis blown coverage, just giving us a chance. Will Parks, Justin Hardy, they made the play. And then, you know, Braden Mann was named special teams player of the week, which is always cool. Have, after a stinker of week one, they bring in your replacement, potential replacement, and then you go out and ball out. They said yep. he had a back injury. So I think 
you know, we'll mm. give him a little pass, but I don't know how much mm. of a pass. I think that's a little cover. I'm not buying that for a second. Yeah, right, right. So, but Greg Zerloin, bounce back game. He only hit, uh, he was Huge. 0 for 2 last week and that, or 1 for 2 on uh, extra 1 for 2 and missed an extra point. And, and then the field goal was just bad. Banged it from 57. It had no rotation or a weird rotation on it. And yeah, I was like a knuckleball. I was like, oh no, this is just, this is not even going to make it to the crossbar. Mm-hmm. But, it was good. It looked like it was going to be good from 60. Glad he hit it. Um, the only negative on special teams was the Marcel Harris uh, penalty. Um, we don't really need to spend too much time on that. Just boneheaded. You just got to be smarter. But that, you know, the thing that surprises me most about that is that mm-hmm. you're like, he might be the 49th or 50th guy on the roster. Like, right. you really got to watch yourself as it is. As, you're the guy you know, in the NFL. If they bring in the guy. When you're a guy who's barely hanging on mm-hmm. and you just shove somebody at the end of a play and get a flip. I mean, that that's the most – like, if it's – listen, it's not excusable no matter who does it. Mm-hmm. But if it's, like, a backup, like, Harris is like a, you know, what is he, third, fourth string? Like, he's not, he's not a guy that they're going to look at and go, oh, we can't afford to let him go. You know, it's yeah. – and it's dumb regardless, but yeah. it's dumber – when when you're not a, a higher level player, it's like it's like Jimmy Johnson used to say, you know, different thing because different positions. But he would say, if I caught a guy sleeping in the meeting room, he's cut. Yeah. Or 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 during if we're watching film and I see somebody asleep, he's cut. If it's Troy Aikman, I say, hey Troy, wake up. But if it's but if it's a but if it's a special teams guy, he's off the roster. Yeah. Like you got to know you know where you like the the hierarchy of the roster and where you are. And if you're not, especially you're not even in the top twenty two, you're not a starter. You you better you better reel it in and not not get yourself you know find yourself unemployed. Yeah, it's funny and and we'll I'll tease it a little bit. We'll talk about you know potentially a player getting treated differently because of a certain position that he plays compared to everybody else, and it's all speculation. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so yeah, I mean, other than that, were there any other things that that stood out to you from this victory here? And what exactly does it say for a young team? moving forward after one of these most improbable victories. Well, again, it, it just shows that this roster, you know, that it, it's got a lot of talent. You know, we talked about it before. I, I sent that tweet out a few days ago mm-hmm. saying that uh, if you look at the last 10 wide receivers, the Jets have drafted Elijah Moore and, and Garrett Wilson will, will probably by mid season be ranked one and two. I mean, mm-hmm. the Jets have been so bad at receiver for so long Yep. You know, now, and, and we've talked, you know, you look at Elijah Moore, you watch the all 22, you know, box score be damned. That dude is wide open. And he, it was the same thing last year. I, I saw people last year dogging him out after the first four or five. This guy, this guy's not doing anything. He's not producing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's wide open. Like, what more yeah. do you want him to do? The yep. ball isn't being thrown to him. Um. So, yes, watching these young players perform at a high level early on, Getting some quality starts out of Max Mitchell is huge. When you can get those late picks to step in and contribute, and they're really getting that from the whole from the whole rookie class, with the exception, of course, of Ruckert, who had his first target this week or of the year and dropped it. But you know, it's, he played a handful of snaps. Not a big deal. Um, it was some, somewhat of a tough catch. Ball was a little bit behind him as he ran toward the sideline, so um, still still has to catch that ball. But this, it's it's just a lot of fun to watch this this young draft class and. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they just they keep trending that way. Yeah, last week I remember sitting up here begging for a little bit more Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. And although mm-hmm. it wasn't both of them, 
I'm cool with it. Whoever it is any week, as long as it's somebody that is going off for the Jets, yep. I'm happy. And if it's one of the younger guys, like more David, uh, more Wilson, Brees Hall, even Michael Carter, I'm even happier. If it's a vet, obviously I'm going to be happy. But I think when it's the young guys making plays, that really like gives me extra because that's the guy that Joe Douglas drafted. He handpicked that guy. Yeah. It's cool when you sign a free agent and he comes in and he produces because – he might have produced for your other team. Like Corey Davis was a high draft pick. So if he came in and produced at a top five pick level, nobody would really be surprised. But when you pick a guy at 10 overall, like Garrett Wilson, he comes in and he's routing up dudes and he's only 21 years old and he's already getting 22 targets leading yeah. the team after two weeks. There's a yep. PFF stat that um, is like threat percentage. It's your total number of uh, routes run versus how many times you're targeted they say 30 is good for a wide receiver he had 38 percent uh threat percentage so he, whenever he was running a route he, joe flacco was looking for him i hope zach zach wilson does the same thing but yeah that that got me excited yeah way more than anything else was the young guys putting on for the team so all right done with the recap let's move forward just like Sala said we're on to the next one we're not going to spend a ton of time obviously we do a show on thursday so we have to bottle up a little bit of our emotion for a couple days but we've kind of been on to cincinnati looking at their team a little bit i just had a couple notes here and then i'll pass it to you to what your your thoughts on the surface but um cincinnati's zero and two a uh, heartbreaking loss last week to Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys, 20-17, to 17, a last-second field goal from 50 yards. Um, this is their second game this year, coming down to one score. Their first game, I believe, was an overtime 23-20 uh, to 20 loss to Pittsburgh, a game in which Joe Burrow did not look good. He threw four interceptions. Um, but this overall, the team, when you look at it, on paper at least, um, obviously they were in the Super Bowl last year, so they're a very good team. But they're talented on defense, and their offense is super explosive. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're a duo that's going to be a problem for a long time. Um, Burrow, however, is not perfect, can get a little uncomfortable. Uh, I watched the TV copy of the Dallas game, and he was yelling, pretty much getting frustrated at the sidelines that they were running empty formations a lot and not really – you know, just putting five-man protections on him and not really giving him help. Um, and then defensively, they're a solid defense, but I think the Jets match up with them super well. We'll get into it a little bit more, but just on the surface, I think the Jets have have a, a matchup advantage in a couple of spots. So what were your thoughts when when you just looked at the, the Bengals overall and their season so far? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it's they're a dangerous team right now. Any Anytime you have a team – that it's as talented as the Bengals are. And I tweeted this out the other day and it's, I mean, it, you know, you, you follow football for long enough and you'll see that when teams are 0-2 and, and, and talented teams, it is so rare that they go to 0-3. I mean, they, they, because if you go to 0-3, you can make the case that your season's over. Like teams yep. that start 0-3 and make the playoffs is insanely rare. I mean, that being said, the Bengals are good enough. They could start 0-4 and win eight, nine in a row. Like they have enough talent to do that. But you don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball like that. So I think that the, I think and, and oftentimes what you see, even though they are so explosive, you know, dynamic wide receivers, I think Jamar Chase versus Sauce is going to be so much fun. Um, that was one, you know, when the schedule came out, I thought, you know, you know, when we knew the Jets had Sauce and we knew those two teams were going to be meeting, it's like that's going to be a fun matchup. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that um, I think that the, the Bengals are a dangerous team at 0-2. Because again, talented teams normally find usually find a way to win. 
Um, funny enough, with them having these great wide receivers with Higgins and Chase, you may see them come out because teams oftentimes it's even though it's a passing league when when teams are struggling and trying to settle things down, they'll come out run heavy mm-hmm. and like back to basics, back to fundamentals, control the clock, run the ball. Um, so you might see the Jets run defense get tested a little bit more than you'd expect, and it'll be another chance for us to see how far along they are. But this Bengals team, again, um, the biggest things right now, they have the receivers to make plays, but their offensive line is struggling. Leal Collins, I believe, has been ruled out. Um, so oh, okay. they're or he's at least on the injury. He didn't participate I, the last two days. I know that. Out might yeah, be. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet earlier. I can't, I can't remember. I shouldn't have said that. I, I'm, not a, I'm not 100% sure he's out. But even if he's playing. Um, he's obviously dinged up. Yep. So this is a chance. This is oh, this is the note I was gonna kind of or the comment I was gonna make earlier um, about this Jets D line. Um, if you think back just a few years ago, when the Jets had you know when it was Leonard Williams and and uh, Sheldon Richardson and you know the, these big time guys, there was supposed to be this great defensive line, um, and and they, it just never panned out. I remember like the expectations were so high. And I remember at one point, even though they weren't getting to the quarterback, I was like, I'll give it time, give it time. They got a gel. They got a whatever. Mm. And then they had a stretch of about three or four games. I forget. I don't remember who they were playing. Uh, but they had three or four games in a row where every single week the, the opposing team had at least one, if not like two or three starting offensive linemen on, who were ruled out for the game with injuries. And I thought, oh, they're gonna. This is the game. This is the week they're gonna go off. Gotta be. And they never did. Yeah. And that—that's when I had to accept, like, these guys aren't as good as we thought, because they're literally a, a <laughs> it's a crop of first round picks on the D line, and they're playing backups every week, and they couldn't sniff the quarterback, and that was like the reality check, like, oh, or that that was reality hitting, like, oh, I guess these guys just aren't as good as I thought they were. You know, may, that happens once, maybe you write it off. But three, four games in a row, you're playing. Everyone's got their backup tackle, their backup guard, and you can't sniff the quarterback. They they better get to the quarterback this week. There's no excuses for it. You know, o- only reason you can justify it this week is, if, as I said, if the Bengals come out and just run it. Um, and, right. you know, usually a lot of quick play action. But get to the quarterback. And especially, this is, this is supposed to be the strength of the defense. And you've got Lawson. And we're excited about Clemens. And we've talked about Huff. And we've talked about Martin. Um, you know, of course, Quinn and Williams in the middle, like this is the game. If they come out of this game with a sack and a half and not, not a lot of pressures, it's, you got to like start looking at it and go, are we, are we overrating these guys? Um, and one note just now from one of our, uh, from one of our viewers, only one team's made the playoffs in the last 20 years after starting off on three. Can't confirm that off the top of my head. Thanks a lot for that. And, yep, uh, a- another note about the Jets being able to stop the screen pass. I feel like I've been saying that for about 25 years. Like the, the Jets, I would say maybe two or three times in the last 25 years have been able to stop the screen. It's so, And what's, what makes it so infuriating is you play the Patriots twice a year, and every time it's third and eight, they run a screen and they convert. Yes, and, exactly. And the screen heaviest and, team. Yeah, and, and the Jets can't run one or haven't been able to run one. It's mm-hmm. like such a basic essential weapon in an offense. And for decades, the Jets can't stop one and they can't run one. Had some sex, success with Bilal Powell a while back but just not consistently. Um, hopefully with this group, we see a little bit more, especially, you know, Carter and, and, and Hall being able to catch the ball. But um, yeah, this they, they, they got to clean that up. They got to start, you know, because teams are just going to keep running until they show they can stop it. Yeah, this this has to be the, the breakout game for 
at least one person on the defensive line. It doesn't have to be every single person, but if one, two, maybe three guys are winning their matchups, I think this will be the game that could change the that narrative of, okay, well, we've been hyped up about this vaunted pass rush in practice all this whole summer. And even last summer, he was talking about how good the pass rush could be. Obviously, it fell flat on its face, but this year it has reason for optimism. So you do want to see them come out strong and, and firing and get at least I'm, I don't want to put a number on it, but more than two, three sacks like this is what we want to see this week specifically. Um, I have a stat here <clears throat> about Joe Burrow's pressures. Um, this comes from PFF, but uh, Joe Marino from the Draft Dudes podcast um, originally said it. So I wanted to give him credit too. of Joe Burrow's 13 total sacks this uh, season, six in week one, seven in week two. He has a pressure rate of 30.9%, so slightly under the league average of 31.6, so that's okay. But he is first in pressure to sack rate, meaning the amount of times that a normal pressure will then become a sack, meaning more often than not, that's a that's a QB issue more than an O-line issue. Yeah. Um, his rate is 38.2, where the league average is 18.7. So he's more than doubled the rate of pressure to sack um, rate, according to PFF. I think that bodes well for the Jets defense, obviously, especially like you said, if they come out firing, if they get an early sack on the first drive or two and really get in Joe Burrow's head, like, hey, I might not be able to step up in the pocket. I got Lawson and, you know, Franklin Myers coming off the edge, but I can't step up into Quinn Williams' face. Um, he knows what happened last year. Um, I'm pretty sure one of the D linemen had a sack against him. I think it was John Franklin Myers had a sack against Joe Burrow. So he mm -hmm. knows what this defensive line can do. So I thought that that pressure percentage stat was a little intriguing and in a matchup where the Jets could take advantage. Um, another matchup, and I had this teased here on the screen share, was when I went and went and looked at the Bengals defense. Um, and this bodes well for the Jets again because the Jets – under Rob Sala, at least he said he wants to be. I don't know if that's hard to read there. I might have to zoom it in. Um, but Rob Sala said that this team is a 12 personnel based team, which means one wide receiver or one running back and two tight ends. Excuse me. Yeah, this is a little too, uh, a little too choppy to see on the screen there. But the Jets are a 12 personnel team, meaning one running back, two tight ends. So obviously, Uzama being down last week showed them a lot more 11 than 12 probably more than they wanted to. But when Cincinnati was playing against 12 personnel, they went from a 4-3 with four down linemen look to more of a 3-4 a look. They brought in a nose tackle named Josh Tapua. He wears number 68, so I had no idea. I had to look him up. Defensive mm. linemen wearing 60s are always backups. So I, I, I wanted to see what they did against 12 personnel and the Cowboys. And the Cowboys ran a ton of 12 personnel. They were very successful running the ball. So I think in the run game, if they go out and they do this 3-4 look and they bring in this backup nose tackle, I think the Jets could take advantage from a run perspective. But I put it in the in the, the tweet here. If they go pass against this, um, this personnel package for the Bengals, <clears throat> especially cover one, I have it here, I think they could take advantage of the the whole shots deep down the outsides of the field. Um, if people remember Denzel Mims's 40-yard catch from last year, that's a whole shot right between the squatting cornerback and the, the safety over the top. So if they are able to take advantage of those couple of looks when they get into 12 personnel, um, and they didn't run it enough week two, I think they had 13 snaps out of 
70 something were were 12 personnel so not enough at all obviously game script but I want to see more 12 personnel in the first half and I think that will set up a lot of the things that the Jets want to do on offense so just looking at those couple of things um what were your takeaways from the from the Bengals in general and and is there anything else that the Jets can do to get to two and one which again just sounds so wild saying that out loud yeah, listen, you just got to you got to take advantage of their shortcomings on the O-line mm-hmm. and and the way they're playing right now and you know the the stat on Burrow if he's if if he's if he's being sacked at almost twice the rate as most quarterbacks, you have to wonder if there's something going on in his head. Like why isn't he pulling mm-hmm. the trigger? It's not like he doesn't have the targets, right? Like he's got he's got the weapons to throw to. For sure. You know, aside from the receivers, Mixon can catch the ball out of the backfield, so whatever's going on there, you know, maybe the Jets take advantage of it and, and dial up some blitzes this week. I'd love to see that. I think that I know, I mean, ideally you want to win with four guys up front because then you're not having to give anybody up in coverage. You're making life right. that much tougher on the quarterback. But if you're, if you're, it's almost like a blood in the water type thing. Like, do you leave it up to the four guys up front to win? Or do you just say, you know what? These guys can't pass block right now. We're going to blitz consistently early on and see if we can, you know, force a fumble, um, you know, f- force a bad throw and an interception. At, uh, that type of thing. So I think the jet, the thing that Jets need to change um, from week one and two, they need to blitz a lot more this week, at least, like I said, early on and see how Cincinnati handles it. If Cincinnati shows they can handle it, then maybe you go, all right, fine, go back to rushing four, don't blitz as frequently. But I'm, I'm going to try to, if I'm the Jets, I'm going to try to take advantage early on of the Bengals' struggles and, and the way that old line is played. And I'm going to send extra guys, you know, early and often and see if it gets you anywhere. Yeah, I think there was a, a red zone blitz from Quan Alexander last week. And I want to say there was a corner blitz from the Jets week one. Michael Carter came off the edge. But other than that, you don't really see them dialing up a ton of pressures unless it's really like a third down situation. So I do want to see them getting after it, especially like if they stop them on first and 10 and it's second and 10 then or second and nine even dial up a pressure then when they're not expecting it. Do something just slightly different. Um, I just wanted to put this comment in here and we can move on after this. Sala needs to be better with time management. Um, I agree. Um, I think his time management has been a little poor, especially, you know, obviously last year, rookie year, but coming into this year, that was an issue we wanted to see fixed. Um, I think he got a little lucky um, with some of the things that happened after those time management issues, but neither here nor there. When we're talking about a win, I think it's easier to gloss over those, but in the future, we definitely need to monitor. Um, I know we need to get to the draft stuff, but I did want to ask you real quick about Zach Wilson um, because this has been talk around a lot of Jets outlets. Um, I know how you feel offline, but I want you to let everybody else know. If Flacco has this offense humming, I'll use that word because I don't want to say on fire or anything else because this is a Jets offense at the end of the day. If he has it humming and they're they're looking good, do you go to Zach? Uh, or like Sala said, he's going to be on the field when he's healthy. Do you actually believe that or do you think if, Joe Flacco's throwing for 350 and four bill or four touchdowns every day, every week for the next two games. This might be Joe Flacco's Joe Flacco's job. Well, how do you how do you see this breaking down? Well, I, I think what's interesting here is I understand that you know it's Zach Wilson's team and he's the future, and I get all that. But a few things at play that, that make me make me pause and wonder is one, Robert Sala wasn't he wasn't as sort of you know he, he was. I don't want to say non-committal, but like w- when that question was posed to him, you know, what happens if Joe, I, my, the answer I expect is it's Zach's team. 
Zach, Zach's the quarterback. Yes. Zach, when Zach's healthy, Zach's starting. But not only he didn't say, you know, yeah, Zach will be on the field, you know, um, and and the whole. Well, the other thing I want to touch on is let's not forget how bad this team has been for how long. Like this mm-hmm. team has been terrible. Fans are dying for some quality football. Yep. Like they're fed up. And and a lot of that is, you know, whether you're a diehard or a casual fan. And I think the diehards, the lunatics like us who pay way too much attention to this team, we're the ones thinking, you know, Zach's the future. He's got to be the guy. Whereas the casuals are just like, hey, man, as long as they're winning or, you know, as long as the offense is fun to watch and they score much points, I'm happy. Like, right. okay. I, I wonder if let's let's say they lose this week, but it's, you know, sort of, you know, 31-28, like another big offensive day. And then they win next week because Zach doesn't have a full week of practice and they beat Pittsburgh, you know, 28-17 or something like that. Like, I wouldn't put it past ownership to say, listen, um, this is the best we've played in a decade. So let's stick with this guy for now mm-hmm. and and kind of put some pressure on Salah. And part of the reason I think that is, I mean, I don't want to say a foreshadowing or it's already happening. But this is really weird, the 110% thing. You know, yes. Salah said a couple times now, we're not putting Zach Wilson out there until he's 110%. Okay, so so why is this why is this weird? Okay, it's the NFL. Like, we hear every, especially late, fine, maybe weeks one through three or four, fine. But when you get to weeks seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, you hear guys all the time, nobody's 100%. Everybody's hurt. Everyone's yeah. playing hurt. This is the NFL. So is this 110% standard that they've now have for Zach Wilson? Does that apply all year? When he when he's back at when he's finally at 110%, whatever right. that means, spiritually, physically, emotionally, across the board, he's got to be all 110s. When yep. he gets to that point and he has his first start and he rolls his ankle and it's a little bit sore and now now he's 88%, does he go back to the bench again? Right. Does he only play when he's 110%? And if not, why is it, why why not? Like, if he can play at ninety five percent three weeks from now, why can't he play at ninety five percent next week? Exactly. It, it's a really weird position to take. Um, to, yeah, I mean, my thought is what what they should be saying is he's the quarterback, and when he's cleared, he's playing. Mm-hmm. And the language they're using, I don't think they're going to throw Zach under the bus. But <clears throat> and I'm not saying Zach is doing this, but there's part of me that would wonder with any player. Is the player saying this? Like, right. is, is is the young quarterback saying, I'm not risking my future. Until I feel right, I'm not going out there. And that and, and is the, the 110% emotionally or psychologically, whatever Salah said, like, is he referencing maybe Zach saying, until I feel ready, I'm not going mm-hmm. out there. In which case the team, because, again, this is, you know, a long way down the road and hopefully somewhere they never get to. But I could see that being a thing in the locker room where a little resentment you know, I, I know the rules are different for quarterbacks with just about everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, throughout the season, you're going to have guys who are hurt and you're going to be asking them to suit up. Hey, man, I know you got a bad shoulder. I know you I know you landed on your elbow and da-da-da. I know you're probably only 80 percent right now, but we really need you. We need you to suit up. Yeah. Oh, but but Zach had to be 110 percent before he could go out there. But you want me to go out there hurt and, you know, at, at a fraction of the salary like and that could, and especially, I don't know, it, it, that's a little too far down the road, but it's just such a weird thing. Like mm-hmm. he's not going out there until he's emotionally 110% ready. Um, it sounds to me like they're 
saying everything they can now to explain weeks from now why he's still not playing. Yeah, it's definitely tough. And I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to assume that it's coming from the player's side and they're just trying to protect him. But at the end of the day, we know Zach Wilson's parents are very, one, they're very smart. His dad was a former football player. So he knows the extensive, you know, injuries that come with football. And his mom is a very, you know, protective mom from her social media account. She's always, you know, trying to you know, not 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 shelter her children, but just protect them from the outside world because there's tons of terrible things in this outside world that kids should not be exposed to. But you could just tell that his parents aren't aren't stupid, essentially, and they're not going to allow him to put himself in a bad situation. Not 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 saying it is all on him. I think a lot of it is the team. And Salah was told, hey, the earliest we were told was Pittsburgh. That means it's not coming from him. It's coming from the medical team. So if that's just the earliest that we that they can play him. That just, I think to me, sounds like they're hoping that he can get back to full, <clears throat> to full practice by Pittsburgh, which doesn't mean he's going to play Pittsburgh. I think he's going to play the week after. If I had to guess right now, I'd say he plays the week after. I think that's the Miami game, which I'll actually be at in person. So that'll be cool if that's the return of the Zach. But um, yeah, it's very, it's very troublesome. I don't, I hope they're not giving him special treatment and, and protecting him because the last thing I want to hear is that they're protecting a quarterback in year two, that they're trying to figure out who they have for the future. But at the yeah, same time, if you're trying to figure out if he's the guy and he's 85% and you you're play. not playing him. Yeah, this is silly. But at the same time, I will say if Flacco is humming and the offense looks good, does the development of one Zach Wilson trump the development of the 10 other players on offense? Because if the offense is going to look bad under Zach Wilson or whatever it's going to look like, if it's looking good, these players have confidence. You can't just rip that confidence out from under them, and now they're two targets a game instead of eight targets a game. So it's very, very washy. I know we need to move on to the draft stuff real quick, but that was just a weird one for me that it's it's going to be hard to – and we got to watch it every day. We're going to be watching it close to see exactly the wording that they use, the, the timing of it all. So it's going to be tough. I hope Zach's back for Pittsburgh, but if I'm putting money on it, it's the week after in Miami. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll just rapid fire a couple of these draft guys. I'll let you go first. Just give both your guys, take as much time as you need. And then I'll close the show with, with my two guys and we'll get out of here and hopefully watch Pittsburgh lose to the, to the Browns. All right. Uh, so I'll just throw out one game, two teams. Cause they both mm-hmm. have guys that I like, uh, Oregon of crawl, of course, uh, Noah Sewell, a guy that Jets fans should be watching with given their need at linebacker. Yes. Uh, one of the top guys in the class. And they also have a center, Alex Forsythe, who's a good player, uh, somebody to keep an eye on. Um, and they're playing Washington State. And that's really convenient because I watched Washington State the other day. And I'll tell you what, they've got a linebacker named Dan Healy. And that dude looked incredible. Okay. And he's a they said mid, mid-broadcast, he's a converted wide receiver. Doesn't play like one. Runs great speed and is not afraid to stick his face in the fan. So Dan Healy is a guy to keep an eye on. Funny enough, the day I watched that game, a little later, uh, Jim Nagy uh, Senior Bowl sent a tweet out about Healy. I think that's happened about three times this year. I watch a game and Nagy tweets about a player a few minutes later. Um, they also have an edge guy, Ron Stone, and a tackle, Jarrett Kingston. He's listed as interior O-line. He plays left tackle for them right now, and he's looked pretty good in the games I've watched. So I'm looking forward to that one. Cool. Um, sounds good. Um, my two guys real quick, I was trying to pull up the matchups, but I can't pull up who they're playing. Just two guys that I watched in the summer that I've been keeping an eye on. Um, Devon A. Chain, running back from Texas A&M. 
I know the Jets don't have a need at running back that's well documented with Brees Hall and Michael Carter. Um, but this guy, uh, he's 5'9", 180, has a track background. Um, he could take it to the perimeter or one cut up inside and go. Um, good pass catcher. Obviously, with his limited size, I want to see a little bit more from pass pro from him. He made it on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. So if you're a subscriber to Athletic, check him out. He's number 35 on the list. Um, he had 910 yards rushing and nine touchdowns last year. This year, he only has 196 and two touchdowns. But that's, I think, Isaiah Spiller leaving and him being the main guy now. Offense or defenses are keying in on him more. So I want to see a little bit more production out of A-Chain, but he's an explosive guy that I'm excited to watch. And then uh, on the flip side, defense. I watched Clemson's defense the past week and a half, a couple prospects on defense, but I want to highlight Miles Murphy, their edge rusher, 6'5", 275. He's a pure 4'3 guy, uh, tons of pass rush moves, good first step, even when they have him in a two-point stand-up stance. I think he could get off the blocks well. Um, I want to see him in more of an attacking role. They have a new defensive coordinator, Wes Goodwin, taking over for Brent Venables, who's been there for, I think, a decade. So a lot of changes on defense schematically, I think. Um, he's doing a lot more crashing on the, the end man, a line of scrimmage, more contains. They even drop him in coverage, which I think is weird. So I want to see a more attack style. Last year, he had eight sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss. This year, only two tackles for loss and a sack. So you want to see his production ramp up a little bit more. Also on Bruce Feldman's freak list, number three, I didn't do it on purpose. That was an irony, but two guys that were on the freaks list. So, you know, that they have athletic explosiveness. And guys that I, I watched in the summer, I, I really liked. So those are my two guys. Um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to say again, I hope everybody's watching the Brown Steelers at, at 820 real closely. Obviously, the Steelers, we play them next week. They might play Kenny Pickett if all goes bad for Mitch Trubisky tonight, which will be interesting. Kenny Pickett in prime time against the, the Browns defense at Miles Garrett. We saw what happened mm. with Malik Willis against the Bills coming in just kind of thrown into the fire not a good look for your rookie quarterback so i hope that you know that's not the case for pickett but if it is hey the jets could be licking their chops next week um until then we'll be back on thursday i'll try to put out some more film stuff so if you follow me at determin on twitter you'll see all my threads everybody follow glenn on twitter at acefan23 um, be sure to check out our forums on jetnation.com. There's they're buzzing. Everybody's got topics there. You can just scroll down and find a topic about anything you're choosing. And until next week, let's go Jets.